Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Akash Sherman, a visual effects artist making his feature debut as a writer-director with Clara, a drama starring Patrick J. Adams as an astronomer obsessed with finding signs of extraterrestrial life, and Troyan Belisario as the young woman who helps him understand his own place in the universe. The film makes its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival this afternoon, Monday, September 10th at 5.30pm at the Ryerson Theatre, which is why you're getting this episode a day early. Akash picked the Star Wars saga. Originally we were going to focus on The Empire Strikes Back, but as you'll hear, the conversation quickly spiraled out beyond Irvin Kirshner's 1980 sequel to George Lucas's 1977 Star Wars, and into the entirety of George Lucas's universe. The characters, the mythology, the technology, the various versions of the trilogies that have evolved over the decades... Basically everything except the TV movies with the Ewoks that nobody liked anyway. We also ended up pitching our own spin-off projects at each other, so quite literally, this is someone else's movie. I grew up with Star Wars as, I mean, they were the kind of the first live-action movies I've ever seen. I started, obviously, with like Disney animated films, but uh, we had the original trilogy on VHS, and when those were popped in, and I saw A New Hope for the first time... I was like, how are they doing this? Yeah. You know, just the, all the all the effects, the adventure of it all. It, that, I think, I, I think I can trace back to that moment, the kind of spark that made me want to become a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, and, and just that, that, it made me feel like anything is possible on film. And Star Wars is certainly that, that kind of sci-fi, fantasy, space opera, everything on, on film with comedy and, and, and action and... and and love and family. It's just it just encompasses kind of everything um, that I like to see in storytelling with arcs and and and, and memorable characters. Uh, and then the Empire Strikes Back, I think, would have to be my favorite Star Wars. Easily, easily. Uh, I, I like the new ones a lot, and I think a case could be made for the Last Jedi as the first art house film within <laughs> there. Like not art house, but the first genuinely artistic movie. Mm-hmm. But Empire. Um, I mean, I got to see them all theatrically when they opened. Oh, I'm you old. are lucky. I am. <laughs> well, I was incredibly lucky because I was eight when the first one came out, and that's like the target age to have your mind blown open. Yeah. Wow. Um, for for context, for mm-hmm. reference, I'm I was five when the Phantom Menace came out. Oh wow! And that was the first movie I ever saw in theaters. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah. And 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 that, but that's perfect for five year old. Right? And it was, I, and I loved is... it. I, I I for sure. When I grew up with the prequels, I, I loved them. They were. Directly targeted towards me. Yeah, yeah. So. The smartest thing. I mean, it's funny. It's a terrible decision, narratively, structurally, to focus on like Darth Vader as an adorable child. Mm-hmm. But it is the movie that you know Lucas had always said these films were made for kids, which I, okay, yeah, but they're not. Not really. The Empire is definitely the, a mature film. It's about relationships and yeah. And but Empire complexity. also was a little taken taken out of his hands. Because um, Irvin Kershner directed it, and uh, I, I, I remember hearing that like although Lucas really went to kind of fund that one himself, he definitely went independent from Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. for Empire. But uh, I think that was the one when he really kind of leaned on collaborators to help with that one, and yeah. and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think the product of that was 
quite a bit more of a serious film. Because um, if you look at A New Hope, like that's just a fun movie. It's just an adventure. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not too. It's not too serious. It's not too. It's not too heavy. But The Empire Strikes Back really kind of brings in those serious tones of conflict and and and, and where these character arcs are going. So yeah, yeah. and it's. It's the one where we get the Imperial March for the first time. It's stately, you oh, know, it's yeah. serious-minded, oh, yeah. but it also... I remember being struck, because I had seen Star Wars, I don't know, ten times probably theatrically. Just I just kept going back, and it was 1977. There wasn't much else to see that summer, and Smokey and the Bandit was not doing it for me. Uh, but yeah, I can... I mean, I remember the theaters I saw Star Wars in. They were, they're all gone now, the Finch and the Don Mills and... It was probably those two alternating back and forth, back and forth. But uh, it was at the Odeon Theater chain, and I just I was living up at uh, up in North York, and that's like if I could get my parents to drive me to the theater, I would go see Star Wars again. Wow! Uh, and again, and again, and again, and then yeah, friends would go, and I'd come with them, and it was just this. It was a thing. We didn't have the internet. There was just the movie to see. Yeah. Um, and then when Empire came out in May of 1980, I was sufficiently stoked that I actually went. Think if I'm if I'm remembering this, it must have happened this way. There's no other way it could have happened. I I think we had the day off from school. Mm-hmm. It was a Wednesday or a Friday. I think it might have even been it might have been a Wednesday when it opened here. But it was opening at the University Theater, also long gone. It's a Pottery Barn now, down on uh, down on Bloor Street. This massive seventy millimeter house, and I went down with a couple of friends, and I. I think my brother Michael was with us. He would have been 10. I would have been... Yeah, I was 11. Um, and we went down to see, like, the the 10, 15, 10, 20 a.m. show. 70 millimeter. On the first day. Yeah, and 70 millimeter was popular back then. Yeah, no, I... There I, were five I, or six theaters in, in the city that yeah. would regularly screen stuff uh, in 70. And we went, and I just remember thinking how gorgeous it was. It was just beautiful visually i mean it is peter sashitsky shot it and it is gorgeous i remember so vividly the lighting on the back of vader's head oh, when he looks when at he the surveys star? the star destroyer yes. yeah, yeah. he's in the star destroyer looking yeah. out and it was like glass it was just incredibly yeah textured and, sh- and smooth and beautiful and i thought oh this is different from the last one because the last one's kind of dusty and it is messy. yeah yeah intentionally i mean yeah, it looks like sure, a yeah. in the future and all that but it, I think that might have been the first time I thought about how movies were produced and mm-hmm. what that what the image tries to say. Yeah, I remember it so vividly. Also, we were up in the we were way in the back, and it was just this huge, overwhelming image. Just the they had a massive, gorgeous screen, and came out and loved it so much that it was like if I hadn't had to go home, I would have gone right back in. <laughs> it was it was amazing. I have a question for you that yeah. like I. I would never have any kind of idea of what this was because I wasn't alive at the time. Because <laughs> when I when I watched these films, I watched them on VHS. I had all three, so I could just go straight to the next mm-hmm. one. What was it like at the end of Empire with the big twist dropped of of, of no, I your father? Like, what what were the feelings you kind of had going into Return of the Jedi and, and, and in that gap? Uh, it was torture. It was <laughs> torture. Like, it was hell. It was. I knew it was a cliffhanger. I. Th- I think there had been, like, either the Time Magazine story had come out already, there was, a, I think it was the cover, but it was the first big splashy magazine spreading it, and because it had Darth Vader on it somewhere, uh, it was the shot of him reaching out, which had no context at the time, but that's yeah. just the image they used, the shot of him reaching out on the gantry. Yeah. Um, I knew, well, 
because I saw that image, it's like, I have to read this. Uh-huh. And it had no hints of, the, like, basically, it introduces these new characters, and there's this, but it didn't go into detail. And I knew that it was a cliffhanger. That was that was the thing that I understood, because we already knew uh, about the episode five thing. That was that was the big surprise, like, six months earlier, when, they, when Fox reissued Star Wars with episode four on it okay. for the first time. Yeah. Uh, that we knew that Empire would be episode five and that there was a six planned. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the piece, they discussed the fact that it was going to be a cliffhanger ending. And so I was sort of prepared to know that yeah. it wasn't going to be decisive. But yeah, there were gasps. People were shocked. And then the movie ends and you're just like, but I want it now. Yeah. I need to know. And it would be another three years. Yeah. And so... But then when the trilogy was finally rounded off mm-hmm. with Return of the Jedi, how does that feel kind of like having that trilogy closed? Did you feel that kind of closure? Did you feel like it, it, oh, the yeah. story was No, it was finished? incredibly satisfying yeah. at the time in, in 83. And, and the cyclical nature of everything hadn't really been explained. There, We knew, like we collectively, there was a book published written by Alan Arnold, um, uh, about the making of the Empire Strikes Back called Once Upon a Galaxy, which is huh. hand-massaged by Lucas as his... You know, like it's a story of this brilliant artist who is creating a great work of modern mythology. He, yeah. He'd fully bought into everything that he'd... I mean, you know, Lucas was winging it in 1977. He, he had been writing the Star War forever... And the Star Wars and the Chronicles. Like, Mace Windu was the original hero and all this Mustafa stuff. Mustafa was a dwarf. Yeah. Mustafa Star Killer. A million different yeah. things. It was basically his Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. And he used, he stole imagery from samurai films and, and half the Flash plot Gordon. from the Hidden Fortress and Flash Gordon and Buck yeah. Rogers. And, and created something new, uh, which is amazing. But he then went straight into the, oh, yeah, I'm a genius. It's always been my destiny and goal to create this massive story and here i am telling my epic and we were all just going "Uh uh-huh uh-huh okay and the book this this book was the first time that lucas was quoted as saying it was going to be nine movies that his his plan was always going to be yeah i heard that yeah four five six then one two three then seven eight nine and i think mark hamill even said i saw some old interview on youtube that it in the time around then there was a plan for nine yeah they were all operating on this and then for whatever reason after jedi came out that was it that he lucas said no we're i think i think maybe someday i'll do the first three i i have have to admit i really i I kind of appreciate that restraint that he had to Mm -hmm. because he could have easily milked these movies oh, he, yeah. he he could have gone and made a bajillion of these movies um but he seemed to have quite a bit of restraint for that and i i guess i actually quite appreciate that and obviously i know the the prequels have a very very mixed reception mm-hmm. um but um i don't know i still i still really admire the way that this all kind of happened with you know four five six and then one two three it's interesting like it's never really happened that way in any sort of saga yeah, yeah. and it, and we've also never seen the kind of technological evolution and regression that happens in in the prequels where yeah. suddenly we have this new digital technology that he fell in love with to the i would i would argue detriment of the yeah. storytelling because you can imagine almost anything. I, I think this is what happened after 1983, too, after Jedi came out. I think he was paralyzed by the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, What else could you do? Where could the story go? And then he fell into this other thing where he started producing and got more interested in 
in making movies like Coward the Duck and, and mm. Willow, <laughs> and they're 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 more like fantasy based because that way he could play with puppets and and the stuff he did with Henson. Those are really all kind of part of a creative um, obsession with him that just wasn't uh, it wasn't really what's the word uh, like it, it became impractical as digital technology came in yeah. and he fell in love with that instead and then I think as a result got lost in the weeds a bit yeah I mean it, and it is it is yeah, you know that's a huge criticism of the prequels often is the CGI and stuff which is a shame because there actually were so many models built for the Phantom Menace. Like, I heard that there were even more models built for the Phantom Menace than there were for the original trilogy. Yeah, didn't they just like end that. up scanning them or something? But, yeah, but then, you know, they get lost in the mix and then obviously the ballsy choice to have a full CG character like Jar Jar Binks sure. was uh, a risk. It's, it's <laughs> and, a uh, really interesting technological achievement. It just happens to be yeah. someone no one can stand. Yeah, and... But but then like on the other hand you have like a Gollum character in Lord of the Rings who mm. is to this day really holds up like if you watch the Fellowship oh like, yeah that that really holds up and it's just a couple of years later yeah right? so it's um I yeah it's a it's a it's a I think that's a that is a pitfall of filmmaking is 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 technological innovation and, and how exciting that could probably be at the time mm-hmm. and you got to kind of be careful to not let that steer you too much um i uh i'm i think i i have a little bit of an old soul in me so i like to look back and whenever i i actually started as a visual effects artist actually and um i i whenever i can infuse real elements or use practical effects i will do that because the, there's no substitute for something that's physically there yeah um oh absolutely um, it yeah. just changes. I mean, and, and Ahmed Best was there in Phantom Menace, but the eyelines are wrong. People are still kind of not looking right. Like, it's it's weird, but having him present makes it harder, I think, to yeah. to create a character that's the wrong size. Yeah, but then we have something like someone like Yoda in Empire. Sure. When, when Yoda shows up, his eyes are there, and like in Frank Oz, obviously, in the puppetry is is he's a master. And every time I watch Empire, just when Yoda shows up, I just feel all giddy inside. You, yeah. just, you just feel like there's this magical creature there. Yeah. You just feel so real. So We, we all felt that way, too, yeah. at the time. Because we knew there was this... We, well, the other thing about Empire was that there was all this stuff about Boba Fett because ah. they'd introduced him in the holiday special and, mm. and the cartoon. Yeah. And then there's the action figure that you could send away for. And he was the most highly anticipated character, but they kept... Uh, Fox and Lucasfilm kept stressing in all the publicity material, he's not the only new character. There's all these new people. Billy D. Williams is in this movie, and Billy D. Williams is just coming off you know, a couple of fairly popular mainstream movies, as well as being Billy D. Williams, which was his full-time job of being awesome. Yeah. And and Lando, like, Lando being the, the first black character in Star Wars mm-hmm. was, I was not aware of what a huge deal it was. I just thought, oh, cool, there's a new guy with a cape. And he's, but not only that, Lando was indeed like like he was a character type like like he was so different from the other characters yeah like and and just his suaveness the first word he says it's like you can just feel that billy d williams yeah, coming yeah, yeah. through you know? he's, um, yeah he performs the same function in empire that that han solo performed in the first movie which uh-huh. is this is all bullshit and mm-hmm. really let's just you know let's just make a couple of bucks and run away yeah uh and we get to like that is it apparently was supposed to be a point of comparison to Han's evolution and why Princess Leia could fall in love with him now, 
but also Billy Dee Williams just makes being a bad guy or a, a you know a, a, a gray area yeah a, a, person, a morally yeah. ambivalent character looks yeah. so much fun yeah why wouldn't you want to hang out with this guy <laughs> yeah and then yeah and then Yoda is the one with the the unerring moral compass but who's also a bit of a goof which is just wonderful like, well I just love how like the, well the way they set it up is Yoda obviously says that he you know oh you seek Yoda like he's not he's not clear about the fact that he is Yoda and oh he, no he's he just red lying yeah he's... he just trolls Luke uh, for like a couple scenes I think and I, I don't know it's a really interesting way to introduce a character mm-hmm. you know just to have fun with them have them kind of piss off your main guy with a, a little bit but then become this very powerful sage like it's a really that turn in that scene when he discovered that aha moment that this is Yoda and Obi-Wan's chiming and it's like oh god I just got drawn into this ancient <laughs> like you know order <laughs> yeah it is it's yeah. it's marvelous storytelling and you know fantastic puppeteering too because the last time i watched empire i was just sort of paying attention to all the technical pieces yeah. and seeing how they fit together and there's that moment where yoda sort of does something with his shoulders and his ears droop and it's this weariness of yeah okay now we have to actually be serious about it and it's a puppet it's, it's a puppet it's I know. incredible work i know yeah um, and that speaks to you know, like both frank oz uh, being an absolute master of his craft, and also to to Lucas and Kirshner knowing they could get away with it. Yeah, I, I heard Lucas can't, like really campaigned hard for Frank Oz to be considered for an Oscar. In, in in oh for acting for acting yeah because I mean like you know there's always that conversation about Andy Serkis who I think is just brilliant with with his mocap mm-hmm. and. It's an interesting. I hope that there one day is kind of going to be some sort of category for for people who do that kind of work. In Solo, for example, Phoebe Waller Bridge's motion capture stuff is delightful, and there's a moment where L three just sort of sits and slaps her leg up over the other, and it's just like that's a human being. Uh-huh. It just happens to be interpreted through uh-huh. ones and zeros. Yeah. Um, but when you're dealing with like in 1980, before, I think the, the most sophisticated thing they had in in Empire is the the replacement of the like. I think it's a chimpanzee's eyes, a woman's jaw and and mouth uh, for the emperor. The original rendition of the emperor was oh, yeah, put that, together that, from a bunch of different that things. Conglomeration, that mess yeah. of the face, yeah. yeah, to be weird and alien and, yeah. and wrong somehow, yeah, and distorted by video static. Like, this is the thing that just guts me about about Star Wars in general. Those pre- the first three films and and what Lucas has done to them over the years is like, you kids today just don't appreciate. Right? It's it's not your fault. You've been deprived of the original experience, to the point now where Empire in the special the latest special editions. I, I think it started when the Blu-rays came out. Um, during the production of the prequels, he Lucas actually got Ian McDiarmid to come in and. Be the Not, and and do the emperor's um, scene, but with new dialogue, where they actually blow the revelation. The Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, line. yeah. Where they like, well, your child is the problem, and they're actually giving away this yeah. massive twist at the end of the film. Yeah, but I, yes, I, sure. Now I never. Yeah, knows it's such it. a it's such a weird thing, and uh, I, I I'm I've kind of learned this with. Having just made kind of a, my feature and and it, which is it's been a year since it's actually been completed okay. and it, and it's like at some point, um, I think any sort of kind of content creator needs to be able to step away and because there is a part that's like yes I, I could be doing something different I could keep 
updating these ideas. The problem is, is that it's, in Lucas's case, when you have people that's already seen and love your movies, you can't do that to them. You know, yeah. like you can't up update their what what they've already kind of grown accustomed to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I think it's tempting for franchises in general to now whenever they do sort of an update or sequel to just keep making tie-ins and and i guess the anakin skywalker thing comes after the obviously he was around around the time when he was going to make the prequels he knew that the whole anakin skywalker was going to be a big deal so he wanted to make that tie-in and then they put the hayden christensen ghost at at the the end end of jedi jedi is so unforgivable yeah but i mean like it's I, I I understand their their impulse to do that. I I can't say whether it's like right or wrong, but oh no, it's I, I, wrong. I just, it's wrong. I'll say it's, it. It's wrong. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> I'm I just, a critic. I but can I, say it. Yeah, you're a critic. You could say it. But I also <laughs> kind of feel like like if I were in his position, I I, I I could probably sense that itch. That itch just like ah ah this should this should make better sense in the whole scheme of things. Like, yeah. But. Um, yeah, <laughs> but with Empire, I mean the, that specific change in Empire. You know, Windows and Cloud City is fine. Nobody really yeah, Windows that. Cloud City. Yeah, we get it. You know, that's a thing that you can now do relatively easily. It doesn't change the texture of the film. It's just it's oh yeah, they're not in a soundstage now. Yeah. They're in cloud. They're in a space city. Yeah. That's kind of neat. But actually, adding new dialogue that undercuts the experience of the film that you're watching—that's fascinating to me. That would be. Uh, I can't even think of another. Like it's a betrayal. A sabotage? Of, yeah, it's a betrayal of yeah. the material by the person who wrote the material. It's so yeah. strange, and and um, I got I, I just I couldn't believe it when I saw it in that that first time that they released them. We I I just stared at it. I was aghast. Yeah, uh, it was kind of okay when Ian McDermott showed up. Revo- like saying the emperor's that dialogue. made sense. Yeah. I I, li- I like that. I thought I I obviously with. And Ian McDermott is a great part of the prequels. Mm-hmm. He's incredible in the prequels, and also he's in Jedi. So, yeah. I mean, to to update that to be Ian McDermott, I, to me that's a sensible choice. It's it's the Anakin Skywalker line that's not not not, you know, that's ill advised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and also because that when we saw it when I was eleven, when we saw um, the big reveal, "I am your father," the conversation afterwards was well actually now that i think about it he did say if he could be turned like he's the one trying to save him so i guess that does make sense he's he was trying to kill him in the first movie but maybe he didn't know who he was or it was just a, a ship shooting at another ship and you start making all the connections and and revisions in your mind to yeah. understand the material as it's been presented to you which again when you're 11 it's kind of cool to be able to do that and i and i yeah. can understand the appeal of now it's all the YouTube theories about this film is taking place in the same universe as this film. Oh, yeah. You know, because these two products, because slusho products appear in all of J.J. Abrams' movies, there must be slusho somewhere in The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah, I've heard about, I've yeah, heard about that. It's just a prop drink he came up with that it appears in all of his movies. It's the same way. Yeah, it's fine. I, it's harmless. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Empire, you had the opportunity for the first time to start digging through the movie that you had already you know, memorized, which was Star Wars, the first film, and try to figure out where these connections are and what does it mean that Darth Vader and 
did they ever no they never met in the first movie Luke sort of saw him for a second and just it was great because it was a, a chance to engage with continuity in a way that I don't think I ever had before yeah I mean, comic books were sort of experimenting with it but nothing was as layered as it is now where everything comes with its own bible and uh, intertextual connections that you can explore forever yeah you just had to go and see the movie again to see if you remembered what you remembered yeah uh, which was pleasurable but also agonizing but and you, as a kid you would have been able to just pop the tape in again yeah no that's yeah totally yeah we didn't have that <laughs> <laughs> people really don't like there's a generation of kids now who don't who will never know what it was like to have to wait for something or or to have to not be able to get something like, yeah no i i mean i i feel that with music to be honest uh in I, I'm sure you could probably make the parallel to days when there were records, but for me, I, I mean, I, you know, HMV closed down, and I used to go buy CDs all the time, and uh, I I love having to kind of buy a CD and then either either have to like rip it or play it, listen to the whole thing, and it it, it kind of forces you to kind of make time for that album, um, whereas now if you can just buy a single song and or stream a single song immediately. It's just, I don't know. It kind of it kind of takes away the effort that you put in as 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 a consumer, as someone who is is is, is trying to form a connection with that piece. Mm. So yeah, no, to- totally. I think I think the kind of instant gratification of of getting anything anytime. I'm actually watching fewer movies. I'm listening to fewer songs now. I, I feel. Like I, I used to really carve out time for stuff, or, or even like going to the movie store with my friends, like that. Yeah, we we we'd carve out a whole half day for that. You know, walk to the store, and yeah. now now it's, let's watch something on on Netflix, and uh, and Netflix is has been great for TV. I I mean I I love sure, yeah. watching TV on Netflix, but I I also get tortured when I'm just searching for movies, and I just I can't pick one. Yeah, no people. This is apparently the new experience now is you don't actually watch the movies but you look at all the tiles yeah. and you think about it and then you look at the connections and you think about something else and it's 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 kind of it's an overload but it's based on the desire to know more yeah. so you never settle on one thing because you always want to find out what yeah. the next thing is one thing i loved about the movie store though is that when let's say you know you didn't get a chance to see a movie in theaters and it it comes out and they have kind of that new section mm-hmm. and they would always be out because you know people would have already picked them up, right. that would force you yeah. to now find a second choice. So like, I I discovered so many interesting movies just be, purely because I would go to the movie store and get disappointed. But that was <laughs> that. But that was you know that 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 led to more discovery. Um, and not saying that like you can't discover stuff on Netflix. I'm always no, finding obscure stuff. But it's that yeah. it's that kind of failure of finding. Well, the and thing if you're you outside, wanted. you have to pick something. Yeah, right? you, like, you're gonna, gonna have to go home. You eventually. go to the store. You got to pick up something. Whereas I, I've literally on 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 any sort of VOD platform, I've wasted thirty minutes trying <laughs> to find something, and then I just don't even I don't even watch anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's happened to me too. It's, yeah. it's bizarre. You're spoiled for choice, I guess is the term, but it's it's worse than that because you're aware that. There's something. There's so many somethings. Yeah. And the the one thing that will be perfect, you know, you'll never find that. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you if you have, yeah, if it's the same again, it's the same problem with CG, right? Endless opportunity, endless possibility means you yeah. never, you either never settle for something, or you just keep thinking you can resettle and fix it and. and Make yeah, it better in post. I think restraint is a very powerful force. I yeah. think you need to. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, 
That's something I really value. <laughs> yeah. And well, and again, with you know, everything's going to lead back to Empire for the purposes of this conversation, but it does make me think about how faced with an ending in Star Wars that you really could have gone anywhere. Mm, um, yeah. Because that movie is self-contained. Yep. Uh, episode four or otherwise. Mm. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The direction that uh, Lucas took in, in shaping Empire he could have told any story he wanted. He could have gone in any direction. And he found a way to make something that is visually similar and, and emotionally right. But what surprised me the last time I watched it was realizing how the tone is really... Like, there isn't one. It, it starts like a Star Wars movie. The Hoth sequence is yeah. zippy and fun and, and, and visually interesting. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and adventure. Yeah, It's filled with adventure. Luke and Leia kiss... Which, you know, now it's creepy. Weird, yeah. But it gives you the thing that you thought you wanted in the first movie, that first act. And then everything goes to shit. Like, it all collapses and they flee. They get separated. Yeah, and suddenly it is a series of different movies all interacting, but there's the quasi-mystical. Like, those, the Dagobah training sequences are potentially incredibly boring. They're not. They're not. They could have been so dumb. They could have been, but they're actually... I think those are some of the best cut sequences of that film. I mean, like, even just the scene where he lifts the X-Wing, or sorry, sorry, he fails to lift the X-Wing, and and Yoda lifts it after him. Just the way that's cut, just the pacing, um, they kind of, like, double up, like, the amount of time that Luke tried to lift it, they kind of double up on for Yoda's shots. And it's just, like, you just feel it. I don't, I don't know. It's just, mm. just seriously, the craft of Empire Strikes Back is stunning. Yeah, no, yeah. it really is. And it's, again, on paper, it is Luke looks at the rock. The rock <laughs> kind of moves. How do you how do you turn that into something that's gripping? Yeah. Uh, and part of it is we're invested in his story and there are stakes. And, and, you know, we already know that everything else is going badly for everyone else. But there's also, meanwhile, in Cloud City, there's flirting and comedy like it feels like a stage play in a couple of scenes where it's just this weird romantic comedy between Leia and Lando where he's trying to seduce her away from Han and already we you know like they've already been through the monster stuff in space and like that that midsection of the film where almost nothing is happening but it's all about progressing and understanding who these characters are and and letting them be people instead of action figures which is how the first movie more or less the second hour of Star Wars is just you know, running and hiding and jumping and, and swimming. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, it's adventure. Yeah. yeah, but when it's over, it's like, okay, now, who are these people? And yeah. this is the movie that answers this that. This is the the character movie, for sure. Yeah, no, it sets up all that conflict. Um, also, they fail a lot. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I love Luke Skywalker is that he honestly is useless without the friends help of his friends. He needs all these guiders and, and mentors and... Um, and that's why I find that moment in Return of the Jedi when like he's able to stand on his own two feet and throw the lightsaber down in front of the Emperor. It's like he earned this. He, mm. he you know he was this kind of clumsy kid along the way. But uh, yeah, Empire. What I love about it is that there's it's obstacle after obstacle. Um, but I don't, you just root for these characters. It's just uh, yeah, yeah, it's special. It is, and it's. It's the one that felt, when I was a kid, it's the one that felt like I could use it to justify it to my parents and and, and older relatives who were like, but it's Star Wars, it's silly, right? It's like, well, no, look, they're doing stuff. And they're, they're talking about <laughs> they're their problems stuff. and thinking about, obstinately. they're thinking about ways to be better people. And that's not something, 
you know, science fiction uh, in 1980 was pretty much crap. Cheesy. Like, yeah. yeah. You, you had yeah. Star Wars and Close Encounters in 77, and those two films pointed two different directions for cinema to take. Yeah. But, and they were both, mm-hmm. they're both wonderful, wonderful films. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, I think Saturn 3 was in 1980, and, and Logan's Run was in 76, and... Yeah, just, I'm a big fan of Logan's Run. Oh, it's, yeah, it's garbage. Mm. I mean, it, it's got some ideas, but it is... When you think about that as representative of major studio science fiction filmmaking in 1976, the year before Star Wars, it's like it came from a different era. Yeah. And Empire is a movie that has... Like, it takes its time, mm-hmm. it settles down with characters, the the stuff between Han and Leia, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, just ignoring all the space stuff and just performing uh-huh. the romance is marvelous. Like, the, yeah. I mean, we see her, their they're one big scene uh, leading up to the, the, the interrupted kiss, where she's just trying to screw a bolt into a wall and having a terrible time of it, that is... I mean, it's it's a great scene as written and performed, but it's also just this marvelous moment where the film stops being a space movie and it's like, you know, they still have to do maintenance. Yeah. The Chewie's always got a wrench yeah. in his hand, but but seeing a human do it is different somehow. Mm-hmm. And and Fisher was just so good at the exasperation and playing it into her scene with, with Ford once he shows Yeah, and, like, and even like her resistance to Han in that scene. Like, I, I don't know, just I, I loved a... I don't know, it's just, just the whole Han-Leia thing. It's... It played out so great in in, in Empire, and um, yeah, I was I was a little disappointed in Force Awakens how they they got so little screen time together, mm. but, um, but they convey so much melancholy. I I really do think it works. Yeah, just the idea that he's been in and out of her life for the last however many years. And I can believe that too. Like I can believe like that's how it would have ended up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's you know that's the other thing too that that no one talks about in these movies is. If there's a spacefaring culture and you can go anywhere, you're going to miss out on stuff. You're going to be oh, yeah. away from each other for long periods of time. And somehow that comes through in that scene yeah. just just beautifully. I, I, I know one of the big knocks on Empire over the decades has been, you know, Luke seems to be training for months and only a couple of days are passing uh, for, for Han and Leia and, and Chewie in their storyline. But, eh, I don't care. It doesn't really <laughs> bother me. The... Uh, I just assumed there was a lot of traveling involved, and they spent a lot of time on the ship getting to know each other. Yeah. That actually makes sense for that story. Yeah. And again, you know, it's a space fantasy. It doesn't really need to adhere to to points of logic and, yeah. and, and chronological um, realism. No. But it's it's all so satisfying. Like, yeah. The things that happen to them are the things that need to happen to get the story to the next phase of its uh, plot, but also emotionally to make them you know, whole people. Yeah. Uh, and involve them in, in their own, oh, this sounds so pretentious, but their own enlightenment and their own self-expression and their self-actualization. They're becoming people. Yeah. And we can root for them better. We, we can be better invested in them. And I, I think Empire, and I, I don't really think that this is the, this bold of a statement, but I think it's like the best middle movie of a trilogy ever. Because it, it followed up on Star Wars in such a, unique and, and daring way but it also set up Return of the Jedi in, 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 in an incredible way because Empire you have the gang all together but then they get split up mm-hmm. and then they end up in the same spot 
like on Cloud City, but they don't actually interact that much. Yeah. Like Luke has to have his own kind of thing with Vader. Han gets frozen, and then and then Leia now needs to team up with the guy that betrayed Han, Lando, uh, and and Chewie, and and then they all get spread spread apart again. Um, uh, and then in Return of the Jedi, you're kind of all getting caught up to where these characters have gone. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, that kind of darker cliffhanger, um, for a sequel, I think really works to set up Return of the Jedi, which I find, I, I love Return of the Jedi personally, just cause it's so, it, it just gives me all the feels, even mm. though it has all oh, the yeah. Care Bear walks and all that, yeah. but it rounds off the story in such a nice way. Um, whereas Empire, like it, it left you as uncertainty for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an upbeat, downbeat ending somehow, which yeah. is I mean, I remember going out of it, be, coming out of the theater being incredibly excited, just really pumped to see it again, mm-hmm. but also to, you know, like, because that was some sort of coping mechanism, because I knew I wasn't going to find out what happens next. <laughs> I knew it would take a while. Yeah. And, well, actually, this has been tugging at my brain since we brought it up. What was it like for you, at what point, had you already seen the prequels when you saw no, I, I started with the VHS okay. of the original trilogy. So, of course, because if yeah. you were five when Phantom Menace came in. So, did you know going in, though, just because of the... I mean, just through osmosis, I assume. Did you know that Luke and Leia were brother and sister when you first saw Star Wars? Were you, were you aware of that? No. Okay. No. Um, I think, I mean, it, it set in pretty quick after I'd watched all three within a few days. Sure. Um, um but no, watching the first Star Wars, I, I had no idea who any of these characters were. Yeah, I just yeah. I wonder what it's like now for people to for kids like it would have to be children or, or young people to come to Star Wars knowing from the beginning that Luke and Leia they're not going to end up together. Like when she kisses him for luck in the Death Star trench, mm, yeah. is that going to be weird? Yeah. Or, um, because I remember sitting through Empire, watching her get closer to Han, and going, "Wait a minute, no, that's not right." Yeah, and I. By the end of the movie, it earns it. I mean, it absolutely, their their romance is like the defining emotional arc of the entire trilogy. Yeah. But if Han is ten years older than Luke, he must be ten years older than Leia, right? Yeah. Like that has that has to follow. And she's playing someone who is kind of wise for her years. And Carrie Fisher had that old soul thing anyway. Yeah. But watching them together by the end of the movie, the first time through, it's like, yeah, no, of course they're in love. They're, they belong together. I don't know. Luke's just, I don't know. Yeah. A loser. Yeah. He's not going yeah. yeah, yeah. to work for him. Luke has nothing to do with this anymore. Yeah. yeah. And the, the choices that, that were made, and again, this is, it's a retcon because originally Lucas wanted Luke and Leia to be the romantic couple. Yeah. Either because Hamill wasn't interested, or not interested, but he wasn't a confident enough actor to really do a romantic role. And Harrison Ford's charisma is just, like it's it's the highest wattage in the entire movie. Yes, and, and yeah, people have yeah. lightsabers. Yeah, and Harrison Ford is still brighter than they are. Yeah, uh, that they just he just went in that direction and then figured out the brother sister thing later. Whatever, it's it lands so it lands so beautifully that when Leia was revealed as the other that Yoda talks about at the in, oh, in yeah. Empire, it yeah, just went. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, must have been her. It has to be her. I mean, I was. It's not going to be Lando. There's nobody else they've introduced that could be. Yeah. Um, and she's already an inspirational leader. I'm, you know, like, yeah. I, I'm 10 years old and I'm talking myself yeah. into this But stuff. there's also that great moment when, like, he does call out to Leia when he's hanging on that, what is it, that, like, weather vane thing. Yeah. Or whatever it is. The cable antenna. Yeah, the, the antenna. And, 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 like, 
there's that moment like that like that push in on Carrie Fisher and you can just see it in her eyes like yeah. she's she's tapping into some sort of connection whether it was just him reaching out to her but like like I I I mean I didn't make that connection as a kid but now obviously now that I watch it back it's like oh, okay like they they knew in Empire that the other was Leia right like, I just assumed that it's because she's the only person he sees yeah in that one moment where she says it's a trap he he knows she's there yeah but. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And it's like it's like a soft dissolve or something. There's an overlap in the frame for a split second that looks like a, a bad projector transition, but it, it's it's deliberate. Yeah, yeah. They, they did that in The Last Jedi, too, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Kylo and Leia. Yeah, like, well, that's it, it's, clearly an echo of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the way you, I guess, you visually communicate how <laughs> these two characters are getting getting in contact with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's so... Oh, it's such a sophisticated movie, and it was... You know, it was written off the whole. The whole series was written off as as dopey science fiction, or not even science fiction, fantasy, space fantasy, fantasy yeah. for the longest time. Yeah, and it was a point in time where to try to do something serious within genre, even with something that isn't a hundred percent serious, but to create a whole world and and it's one of those challenges, I guess, where there's no way to win. There's no way to satisfy everybody to make a film that is. Beautiful, like visually, the lighting in in the carbonite mm-hmm. chamber is just gorgeous, oh, yeah. and it's all practical. That, that whole set piece of yeah. Bespin and and or in the carbonite chamber and and that gantry scene, mm-hmm. like oh gosh, just the striking visuals. Yeah. yeah, and just and to have everything be tied up in the emotional investments too, because Luke is challenging this monster <laughs> who killed his father figure in the last movie, but yeah. is his father? It's just. It's it's so primal that if you relate it to somebody, you know, like it sounds dumb and basic. Yeah. But it's conveyed with this and, and part of that is John Williams' score too, where it is just the most important, uh, fraught, powerful climax, and it's just a sword fight. But yeah. it is. Like it's it's everything. Yeah, but like uh, the Imperial March in this film plays such a big role. I mean, this film for me, at least, and I, I think this is pretty common, but like it really solidified Vader as Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in A New Hope, he's barely in it. He's like barely in he it. He is. He's. This is the thing that I always worried about. Was also, Moff Tar- Grand Moff Tarkin was kind of his boss. Yeah. So he like, was. He was a lackey. Yeah. He was a henchman. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't Leia call him that at the very beginning? Yeah. Something. He, she's very dismissive of him. Mm-hmm. And the idea when when uh, Lucas started saying that the. Oh, the full arc of Star Wars is about Darth Vader. It's like, well, he's in the, he's in one of the movies for twenty minutes, so I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't think he is all. He was always your focus, but yeah, he becomes that character in this film. He's allowed to express humor. He's sardonic. Like for someone whose face we never see in this movie, we just you know, like that tantalizing shot of the back of his head. Oh, yeah. um, it was a remarkable performance from both Prowse and Jones because James Earl Jones is just he's smiling through his lines you know that thing where if you make the face then it comes through in your voice he's clearly like he's emoting as Vader yeah and then towards the end as he gets more and more serious and finally with Luke he's like that is Shakespearean Shakespearean yeah that's a good way because it all comes right back to every classic tragedy yeah the person you've been fighting is the person you want to love you yeah wow yeah. yeah, no, it drops like a hammer. I, I mean, it was it was great when it happened. Yeah. It was just so so thrilling to see. And you, yeah, you wanted to go right back and see how it ended. <laughs> I, I envy people who can 
access all of this stuff in real, not in real time, but in 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 no time to to just follow one to follow, the other. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm finding with, with TV nowadays. That's why I, I I love things like Netflix and stuff for TV because yeah, they like, binge watch, binge watch for sure. And uh, like, it's it's a really interesting way. It might even be the right way to watch TV. I don't know because 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 you want to just maintain that connection with the material uh, and and just live through it with the character. Like I I love binge watching a show because then you you've basically just seen like every day and night of a character. And it's and, and yeah. it's interesting to go through that whole journey without having to wait a week and then I don't know yeah it, it is torture now to actually wait for for new movies yeah, yeah no the idea that we have to wait another year for the Avengers to finish oh, is, yeah, yeah, like that's something yeah. it's time has it's weird right because time has ceased to have any meaning in our current state yeah um, like what was it somebody was pointing out that uh, this big, this big Trump scandal that happened in May, but it feels like it was five years ago. We had that in the Ford years here in Toronto, where it's just like, yeah, remember when that happened? That was last week. Oh, it just yeah. felt like it was three years before. It, it, you just, you're so conscious of everything, and you're, we are, we are through social media and and twenty four hour news. Yeah, everything is all the time, forever, all the time, yeah. and nothing. Time moves faster because as you get older, apparently, it's just the way we perceive it. Uh, but. You know, you blink and it's a week later. Yeah. Even though you were fully engaged in that week. Or things recede further into the past. Like, in my brain, it feels like Solo came out a year ago, but it hasn't even shown up on Blu-ray yet. Like, yeah. It's just, it's been oh, yeah. three months. But it's got this weird rubber band boomerang I, I do think, though, my uh, a friend of mine, he, he... I had the same reaction, but he, he put it in better words. Like, when... Just at the frequency that the Star Wars movies are coming out nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, That's true. It's mm-hmm. uh, he, he said like Star Wars should be kind of an, an, an event, and I think we're being spoiled right now with like a Star Wars movie every every year. Yeah. Um, it's nice that like you have to kind of wait a couple of years for the the race storyline, the, right. the episodes. The episodes yeah. But um, I, it's weird. I, I have this weird feeling that like we're being spoiled. Like I think, I I think we need to be tortured a little bit we need to wait yeah um, I would love to see a, a, a series of films that works the way the before movies do oh, you know where you actually yeah. have to live in this you the characters age at the same rate that we do and then we get to understand what that means for them yeah but well that's, Harry, that's, world, well, that's Harry Potter right like, yeah, I like suppose. What, but I, it's still compressed right because it's a year after year that's after true year. yeah yeah I'm uh, seeing it with television now because everything from the 90s is getting a return but I don't know that we need we can let things go. Like I think it's okay to let things lie for a long time. So, wh- as you're so what's your take on 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 Star Wars in particular, though, and and, and kind of where it's headed, and, and and the amount that we're getting, and, and all the yeah. spinoffs and stuff. It is a it's a volume thing, right? Like we're yeah. getting too much. Yeah. Um, although that said, I've enjoyed everything up until Solo. Uh, I like the, the episode seven and eight. I really love Rogue One. I like Rogue One. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people, for some reason, didn't connect with that one. But I, I for me, to me, that that really just planted you in between or three and four. Like yeah. it really felt like it's successful in a way that. Solo isn't in showing you what life is like for the peripheral characters. Yeah. Like, I love a movie that... All right, it is. Rogue One is a movie that is about nobody you know. Nobody. And, and, and like, to, to the point that they just die at the, all, like, at the yeah, end of it which, all. I which kind of makes sense. It's why they don't show up in some of the other films, and I'm really glad they haven't decided to have characters pop up in the new movies that are the children of. Yeah. But the idea that life under the Empire before... 
the rebellion really got going would suck. Yeah. That's great. That's that's really interesting. You get some of the the moral dimension of what it's like to live, to be a double agent. You you get like just uh, Riz Ahmed's arc as Bodhi at the very beginning, where he's, where he just doesn't want to be doing any of this, and it's all like this. He he's he's only doing it because he's been pushed into a corner and he's doing this out of obligation and yeah. for the love of God just let him go like all he wants to do is not be there yeah and then he becomes the hero like everybody everybody gets that moment where they lay their lives down for yeah. this greater purpose and then somehow and I I've watched it three times now and I still don't know exactly how it does it but it transitions into a conventional Star Wars movie as we know Star Wars. After everybody dies. Yeah, but what I love... One thing I love about Rogue One, and I I gather that, like, a lot of criticism about it is because of the characters and and how they don't have, like, a lasting effect and you don't really know them that well. Mm. But to me, that movie, the character is the cause. And, like, that's so... it's, It's personified in the end when every rebel is handing off that thing you feel it you feel like oh this is what this movie is about it's about that rebellion it's about that struggle I love that I actually really I'm sure those were actually probably reshoots but that scene in the in the in the Carillion cruiser um, it oh, when the rebels are handing off it oh, one by Vader one. Vader is coming for all of them. That is just. Like, I, you know what? I bet that was the original. That is that was originally there. I think the reshoots would have been the other stuff with Vader. Oh, okay. Because that's unnecessary. He should have only shown up at the end, like oh, Godzilla. That's, that's, like when that's, he's there, that's a good point. you're yeah. dead. If you see yeah. him, it's over. And imagine what it would be like in that movie if he had just appeared. Oh, People would have lost their minds. the glow, minds. the red lights. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Because you know exactly who it is and what's yeah. happening. And it, it lines it up with yeah. the beginning really... of, of Star Wars so elegantly. But yeah. yeah, I would have absolutely withheld it. That other scene, it's nice. You know, it's fine. It's a little bit of backstory. A little corny with the choke on your aspirations line. Yeah, yeah but it's, but, you know, yeah. that's who he is. Yeah. He's, he's been in that suit for, what, t- 20 years at this point, And he's just... He's pissed off and cranky, and he's yeah. making jokes. He's making fun of people wherever he can. In terms of in terms of like the spinoffs, um, yeah, going back to Empire, mm-hmm. when they introduced bounty hunters right. for the first time, and uh, obviously Boba Fett. I mean, the way I grew up with Boba Fett was knowing who Boba Fett was. Right. Like I didn't, I didn't get the, I didn't see the toy first, and I didn't kind of like. For me, I I, I had already kind of piggybacked off of your generations this is the badass yeah this is the guy have you heard seth green's story about why boba fett was such a badass seth green like like, like, from robot chicken yeah i've seen a bunch of the robot chicks but i haven't heard his story it's a great explanation of why boba fett was immediately received as this incredible hero uh, hero anti-hero badass guy. give me the gist of it well basically what happened was um boba fett was introduced in the cartoon he didn't have any lines and he was the character that if you got enough box tops, you could send away for a Boba Fett action figure in mm. 1980, 19, like Christmas 1979, before Empire came out. So he was this really cool character. But then he had the, the action figure had a real rocket launcher on, the, on the, like a little dart gun thing on his back, uh, which fired a little rocket. And this was right at the same time that the Battlestar Galactica toys the were choking called. Right, because the, choking they, the children would swallow the things and yeah. die. So... They recalled the book, or they didn't recall the Boba Fett thing, but everybody who sent away for one, myself included, got a letter in the mail like months later saying, oh, we, we can't send you this character just yet because it's dangerous. 
but in different, uh, it wasn't worded that directly. But the implication was that Boba Fett was too dangerous for children to play with. So and it, so you're like, I need to know what oh, this guy does. That's cool. Yeah. And then in the end, we got one with a, with a little jetpack that didn't fire that off didn't. a bullet. But uh, that was, according to Seth Green, like that's the idea that they accidentally planted this subliminal concept that Boba Fett was the most badass thing you could ever see in Star Wars. Yeah. And then he shows up and has two scenes and doesn't really do anything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's his death, you know, oh, Jedi. the quotation marks, death in, in, in Return of the Jedi that that was so silly to me. Um, I uh, Because of all the Star Wars spinoffs, a few years ago, um, my, my co-writer and I, he's someone who I, I write lots of stuff with, and my buddy James, we were, it was like New Year's and we were, we got, we were trying to figure out what party we we're going to go to, but we, and we ended up just talking about Star Wars because that happens. Sure. And, uh, uh, we started talking about the Boba Fett spinoff because we knew that uh, someone out there is planning it. I'm, I'm sure it's already in yeah, the album. Yeah, it's in the works. And, uh, we, we kind of brainstormed what would be, you know, a good way to tell that story. Um, uh, that would, you know, probably satisfy Disney's desire to, have kind of an origin or a reboot kind of thing, but then also satisfy the rest of us that really want to know what happened to this guy and is he still alive in that thousand year digestion sarlacc pit? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, won't, I won't pitch the whole thing, but I, we, we came up with an idea that's you know kind of follows like a structure of like, like a Godfather Part Two kind of thing where sure. you have a past and a and, and a and a and a present version, and so like it, it would open with Boba Fett in the sarlacc pit, which is essentially kind of a prison. And uh, that kind of storyline is this redemption arc, this kind of escape, and he has to work with people in that in that scenario that he put in there. Okay. Right? And then uh, on the other on the flip side, we have this storyline of the of the young uh, angsty Boba Fett, you know, who wants to live up to the legacy of his father Django, and his moral decline into becoming the most feared bounty hunter. So you kind of have these two storylines going. At the same time, one is the moral decline and one is kind of a, of a redemption arc for a guy who's not, like, he's a cold-blooded killer, but, like, someone who, you know, might have to work together with people to escape that Sarlacc vet, so. I would watch that movie. Yeah, I know. great. So, I know. I, uh, I uh, um, you know, fingers crossed I can uh, get into a room with Disney and pitch that. That's incredible. We actually wrote it. I, we actually wrote the whole movie. Like, it's a whole thing. Um, huh. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's just, like fun stuff though you know yeah. just, just like doing that for fun but that's what Star Wars gives you I think in a way that almost no other Star Trek kind of did uh-huh. uh, just the idea that you can imagine new stories there's other stuff to it's do sandbox yeah yeah. you can do you can go almost anywhere you can do almost anything uh, I joked once that I would love to watch the movie of just Chewbacca being frustrated by human stuff because he's always a little too big and he's like a movie from his perspective would be I think it could be great because we know a couple of things about him yeah. are canon like he's 200 years old mm-hmm. he has a family and he's a bad loser and all of those things and Solo kind of has a joke about the bad loser thing yeah. but all of those elements are like that's like that's John Goodman that's a character you can instantly <laughs> understand he's just yeah. a Wookiee yeah. so you either have to subtitle it or do it in mime but I'd love to watch a movie about his life a hundred years before all of this stuff. Like, whatever he was doing way before the Empire... Because he predates all that stuff. Oh, he's yeah. He's been around. And 
I don't know. There's something there. And it's such a huge, weird experiment that it'll never happen. Well, also, I think the holiday special kind of set up oh, no. any sort of Wookiee focused. No, I know. No. I know. But I, th- I, think, I, think, I think it left like a bad taste in people's mouth of, of how the lifestyle of Wookiees might sure. be. <laughs> I, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, Solo does give him. I, I have to admit, that's the thing in the movie that I didn't see coming. Those, you've, you've seen Solo. I've seen it. I only saw it once. The introduction of, of the Beast. Yeah. And having it be like setting it up to mirror Luke fighting the Rancor in Jedi and yeah, having it be I, I, I felt that totally. That was delightful. I actually, like, I actually liked that. Um, yeah. But almost anything with Han and Chewie, other, I, I didn't know how I felt about Han like speaking Wookiee back to him. That was kind of weird. But yeah, it doesn't. It just. It didn't track. Yeah, it's one well. of those things where. I get it. Everybody in the universe speaks different languages, but yeah, it's just it's a it, and he's not good at it, which is clever. But it just means he's met Wookies before, and I want to know more about that. Yeah, but like I, yeah, no, the, the, the just the Han and Chewie dynamic in that solo film was probably the best part of that film for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I again, I only saw it once, but but uh, yeah, Han and Chewie that that's a that's that's a partnership yeah. for sure but that's my pitch that you'd never that's and that's why it won't happen too because Han's not possible right in in my idea of the Chewie movie yeah but you know like, just call it the Chewie movie the Chewie wouldn't you want to see that I feel like I feel like I mean again at the rate that they're pumping out stuff and yeah. even with like animated all the TV shows and stuff it now at this point like we might as well get the Chewie movie yeah you know, it'll happen it'll yeah. all happen <laughs> and, and you're right that is something that is probably bad about the Disney model where I think you know ultimately you see what they've done with Marvel and they make three movies a year each one makes a billion dollars on average mm-hmm. they are monsters and they've gotten really interesting they're launching you know Ryan Coogler getting to do one and and I love Black Panther. Yeah, yeah it's tremendous. Yeah. And and the idea that the model that they've built for themselves can work with almost anything and then you know like the Captain Marvel film is going to be set in the 90s and made by the people who made Half Nelson and stars Brie Larson it's like okay like I at this point sure show me whatever you have I will probably buy it because we're all invested and so far you can, you know, you give Taika Waititi Ragnarok and it comes out looking like it does. And like a Taika Waititi film. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The spirit of the filmmaker somehow transcends this this ABC machine that is built for Marvel. And so why couldn't we do that with Star Wars? I mean, obviously the property is big enough. Let's just keep making them. Yeah, I think it, it's so weird. And just seeing the effect... I mean, there's been two waves of... Three waves of this. There was the remasters to the... Sure. To the... Uh, uh, originals and there was well, the Phantom Menace yeah and then special editions in seven in ninety seven right that yeah. was the first yeah big theatrical re release yeah and then and then of course now we got the new trilogy and you can see this large fan base in certain chunks of it just I don't know to get really angry or really oh, happy God, yeah. and like really split and it's a it is a it's a very yeah very wild bunch of people um, and. I, I, I honestly don't know what is. Yeah, I, I I personally don't know where I sit in that camp. I, I I'm I'm someone that will always just love the kind of original saga, and I, and I, I I think that's kind of untouchable at this point. I would prefer if we don't go back and like you know get Solo's name from an Empire guard. Yeah, you know like again that they don't they're not even speaking English. That's silly. Like, yeah, just it's unnecessary. It's. That's what I felt about that movie. Is like I, I don't hate it. I didn't. I didn't think it was terrible or anything like that. I just didn't feel it was necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I would and, agree. And and 
Yeah, and I think anything if you're going to do a spinoff, it needs to have some sort of like re like real like value to either continue a story or like one thing I liked about Rogue One, and it's kind of clever, a little bit tongue in cheek, but like how they kind of solve the plot hole of why there's a hole in the Death Star. Oh yeah, right. That was kind of interesting. That was a, that was a neat way to approach it. Maybe a little bit like really convenient, but like. I don't know. It, to me, that spinoff like served a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, Solo just kind of, again, it seems unnecessary. Yeah, and yeah. the it felt it was the first one, and I guess if I'm keeping count right, this is the tenth Star Wars movie, right? Oh gosh, there I... are eight episodes, and Rogue One and Solo. Oh, so yeah, there have yeah. been ten of these, and for the first time, it was feeling yeah unnecessary. Like superfluous. Yeah. There's stuff in here. Even if Han just named himself Solo, that would be fine. Yeah. Because it would speak to how he feels about himself and how he sees his his presence and his purpose in the universe is just nobody cares, you're alone, it doesn't matter. Um, I like the idea that he is never going to be any better at his job than he already is. Yeah. That's really clever. And it, it lines up nicely with The Force Awakens yeah. where he's still just screwing people over and then yeah. just shooting at them. That's yeah. like, he will never be any better. He's fully formed at the age of whatever he is. But then you add in the stuff about how he was uh, an Imperial pilot. He was an Imperial... He wasn't a pilot. He was just a grunt. He was a ground trooper. And that needs... That's a whole movie. Like That's a well, story about that, another character. That's what I thought the movie was going to be about because before, you know, the, the, the big Disney kind of separation thing, I remember that the story was is that Han is this guy from Karelia and he, you know works for the empire like he was like an imperial pilot mm-hmm. so they think i think that they'd kind of draw from that but it leans on it here and there yeah but 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 that's that's a story there or and or that like he and han like that's a or sorry he and chewy that's a whole story there yeah um but then we kind of ended up in this other situation with like a different like gang that we don't know of and that never shows up in any of the other materials and it's just i don't know it just yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's, there. It's kind of an impossible task, to be honest. Yeah. To, well, and and that's why Rogue One is so successful because it introduces characters that we don't know and yeah. can't and haven't any expectations of. Yeah. I mean, we know the Death Star will be blown up, but not in this movie. So what happens? How yeah. does this work? Um, yeah. The weird thing about um, about Solo is, as a movie, it needs to get Han Solo to a place where he can be a good guy. But that won't happen for ten years. That and, and his character beat at the end of Solo is basically the same one in A New Hope, where yeah. he where he like he did he didn't take the money and run. Yeah, he ditches the payday for the, for yeah. the hero moment, and yeah. that's not who he is when we meet him in A New Hope. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. And so I, 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 I do two more, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. To yeah. Me. I firmly believe that if you're going to do a spinoff about a character, you need to illustrate some form of. I don't know separation from the initial character like there needs to see an arc at least the beginning of one but this was just he's already who he already is yeah. <laughs> and then he has the same formative beat yeah. at the end yeah exactly yeah, so. uh, it, it's weird that I mean I like the idea that the gesture he performs is the thing that starts the rebellion that that makes him inadvertently responsible for it because then I get the idea that he would spend the next 10 years trying to distance himself from it because, you know, he's Bogart in Casablanca. Yeah. He's the guy who doesn't want to get involved and has actually made his entire purpose to be neutral and, yeah. and refuse and, and has allowed awful things to happen around him. Uh, but in, in Star Wars, he's already Bogart, so he can't be... Yeah, 
I I didn't I didn't like that whole tie into the rebellion in Solo, and I I think it's because Lucas actually did he had this really cool idea, and they didn't really go through with it in Re- Revenge of the Sith, but they filmed it, and you know they have concept art of all this, but essentially Padme. And she was like quite strong in, in a couple of the films. In Revenge of the Sith, she kind of just well, cried. She sad. She's yeah, kind of she cried. Sad and pregnant, which doesn't help. But but in the original story, from what I heard and from what I've seen in concept art, she was actually supposed to be. Well, she is a skeptic of Palpatine, and and she, you know she always criticized him. And essentially, there's a deleted scene where she gathers Mon Mothma, who's the head of the rebellion, and 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 Bail Organa. And like she gets all of these people together, and she essentially forms the rebellion. Right. It's not said. It's not said. Oh, we are the rebels. But like, but by having everyone together, by having yeah. everyone together to be skeptical of of, of Palpatine, and what he's doing, that I, I think that would have been so interesting. That like Darth Vader's wife is the one that actually started that spark. Right. And of um, course, you know, it stands up to the whole light side, dark side thing. It, it is. It would embody the central concept of yeah. Star Wars. And and uh, I, I, some of this concept art I saw for for Revenge of the Sith, like she like went to the most far the volcano planet mm-hmm. with a dagger in her hand. She was going to kill Anakin. Like it, it was actually entering this kind of like Shakespearean kind of territory. Yeah. That's... But then it's uh yeah it's 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 tough because I mean they got Natalie Portman who's amazing and I I. I actually do like Revenge of the Sith. I really do like it, but oh, I think three, yeah, it's... I think Padme was really underutilized, and there was a story in there mm-hmm. to actually spark the rebellion, and that oh, would have been so cool. That would have been great. And the yeah. other, I mean, the other problem too is that Lucas is locked into the story he made up years and years ago about how, well, Obi Wan and Darth Vader fought on a volcano, which was just probably a thing he stole from Lord of the Rings, right? Like just an image of. Of this conflict building at Mount Doom. Yeah, well, because in the New Hope he says, "Yeah, betrayed and murdered your, my father." Yeah, well, yeah, father. yeah. They never. Like, that's the other thing too. Like the the entire legacy of Star Wars is filled with missed opportunities. Uh, I know I've talked about this on the show before. I have no idea where because we've never done a Star Wars movie, but I've definitely <laughs> brought this story up. Um, there was a moment in the fan- there is a moment in the Phantom Menace where I thought we were going to get one of those grand gestures that links everything together when um, when uh, Qui-Gon is separated by the force field oh yeah in the fight with Darth Maul uh, Great fight, he, by the and way. he meditates yeah. right yeah and i thought for a moment what we were going to get was Liam Neeson raising his lightsaber the way that Alec Guinness does uh, when he knows Darth Vader is about to strike him down having the young Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan witness there. it and then that makes his death a gesture of honoring his mentor and bringing the prequel back in line like it would just instantly resonate through all of this stuff yeah and and lucas just like nah they should fight more like you can just feel him yeah, not see it it's i mean that's interesting you say that they they still in a sense kind of got to that point but not in a, an effective way like well, that i think single image would have seen just that would have been amazing it, like in the story it, it is qui-gon that teaches obi-wan how to become the force ghost you should sure. find out that out in dialogue right um, which is dumb but now I'm almost hoping that they make an Obi-Wan oh by the way Obi-Wan spinoff would be cool with, that could be with Ewan McGregor coming sure. back yeah. even like, now like he's aging into it kind of like a Logan-esque kind of movie like like you know just kind of a I mean I I, I would have to that, Obi-Wan must be carrying a lot of weight on his shoulders he, oh, yeah, no, he failed. He spent 30 years alone with his guilt right that's the with whole, his guilt right? like, like, that's he, the whole he's point. entire Jedi order is dead 
his his Padawan's response for all this, like he's alone on this planet. Like I want to, I actually want to know that story. Mm-hmm. I know there is no content filling really that gap. Maybe in some of the animated series, so that would be a great spinoff. Like a really character. Yeah. Like I loved Logan. Like it's it's kind of a tough movie to watch. To be honest, it's quite mm-hmm. depressing. But yeah. but it's like that's the children of men of the X Men movie. Right? Yeah, like it's great, just like that's we're a great all way gonna to put die. It. That's a great way to put yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I would I would love to see that Obi Wan movie and like how also Ewan McGregor, obviously one of the best parts of the prequels. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, he would be he would be uh, my my fear actually is that if they do another solo movie now that they've established that they're both on Tatooine at the same time they'll oh. just cross paths and that won't work. No, because it won't. Han doesn't believe in magic and like. He's, oh yeah, this whole they, thing. they have to be careful to like not show him any of that stuff. Exactly, that's he... the problem you have with these things. It's like, um, and this brings me back to the other, the Lucas blind spot for his own canon. It happens in Indiana Jones and the, and the Temple of Doom, uh, where well, it happens technically. It happens in Raiders, but you know, Raiders he has that speech about how he doesn't believe in any of this stuff, and it's the same kind of thing that Han said. Uh-huh. And then we find out in the next movie that a year earlier he used magic. Oh, with yeah. the Shankara stones, and you're just like, why would you? I you know we pay attention. Guys, come on. Uh, and so you couldn't do it, but they're going to want to, especially since they've introduced Maul as the villain of this new trilogy that they were trying to set up. Yeah, it just that, seems like such a dumb idea. That, to me, that that no, that note did not strike well for, for me. Because yeah. I, I hadn't watched any of the animated stuff, and oh. I had no idea he'd been resurrected. Okay, so I... I Actually, I haven't watched all of it, but I, I've seen clips, and I, so and I know I've, I was very familiar with the resurrection of Maul, mm-hmm. and I thought it was kind of fun to exist in that animated world, which you know I didn't think would ever cross over into the movies. Yeah, but when it actually happened, I was like, uh oh, yeah, you know, like this—they are actually doing this. And it threw me right out. I'm like, it, wait a minute, what year is this? What's happening? He's yeah, dead. And and I don't know, like like Darth Maul seriously is a, probably the best part of Phantom Menace. I mean, like just this silent. He's the most interesting Samurai, yeah, presence. Right? Like, he's so interesting, and I just don't want to know more. I don't. Like, yeah. I... I yeah. um, and, uh, and then the way he, like, twirled his lightsaber in the hologram and solo, I was like... Just to make sure. It's just, yeah. Just it's in like, case, just, kids. Hey, kids, like, this is that, that toy that you might remember. Yeah. Remember how cool this was? <laughs> it's still cool, right? That felt like Ron Howard to me. That just felt like... Somebody who's trying a little too hard to sell a point. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, yeah, I, I can't even guess who, whose decision that was. But I just, yeah, the, it might the, have been Ray Park. He might have just wanted to do it again. I, I love. It was him, right? Yeah, it was yeah, same him? actor, different voice, but same actor. Yeah, it was the animated guy voice, who Sam Witwer. He's, he's great though. I actually mm-hmm. like he does a great job in as, as Palpatine and Darth Maul in the animated series. But uh, yeah, I, it's a, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of uh, choices that need to be make, made around these films now. They've grown to such a level that, like, not really any other, any other franchise has. And there's so many cooks in the kitchen. There are, really yeah. are. Well, that's it, right? There's It's got 40 years of history. Yeah. And... No consistent... Who, yeah, people who are yeah. willing to go in any direction because they, they've rationalized that it's possible. Yeah, and Lucas... One thing I will say about the prequel trilogy, they are consistent. Yep. They're coherent with each other. Um they they may not be fully coherent with the trilo- the original trilogy but the three movies you didn't they, it's definitely made by the same person yeah no stylistically tonally I mean the tech evolves but yeah. yeah the spirit is the same but that's one thing I I felt quite jarring about The Last Jedi and The and the Force Awakens is that like 
I don't know. It, it, it did feel like there... I, I, you can just... By, just by watching those films, I, I can sense that there's, like, creative arguments going on in the upper rooms that, like, maybe they haven't actually settled on something, but someone's calling the shots. I, I don't right. know. They, they, it, it just doesn't feel like someone actually planned this out, this new trilogy out. Okay. And that... Uh, I like... I mean, I like the fact that the second one, that, that Jedi, Last Jedi feels like it's both Empire and Jedi, and it just... Yeah, they have the beats. You can, re- you can rearrange the beats to yeah. make those two movies, yeah. And killing off Snoke and just saying, you know what, this is a dumb idea, we're not going with it, here's the real menace. I like that. That's Again, that's the shift in the second film where Vader, in, in Empire, where Vader comes into his own, uh, but there's still the Empire to answer to in the next movie. I think I like the idea of throwing it all away being the theme of the of the latest film, of, of Ryan Johnson just going for it and ending all of these key relationships and leaving everybody alone. Because that's how we felt at the end of Empire, mm. is that, okay, Han and Leia are together, but now they're not. Leia and Luke aren't together, but now they are physically in the same space, but they're not romantically linked. All the emotions are pointing in different directions, yeah, and but no I, one is together. I and, also felt with the cliffhanger of Empire, though, is that like, you want... You know, Luke and Leia to rejoin with Han and rescue Han. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas you want with the last Jedi, I felt that like Kylo has now kind of regressed back to who he was originally set out to be. Like that moment that he has when he kills Han Solo, he's just that guy again now. Like the mm-hmm. the Ray interference there and, and their connection that was to me the most interesting part of the movie. But then when he kind of makes that choice to be the bad guy, and by the way, we, like we already know kind of his 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 cap right yeah. you already know how his level and that ray is basically matched with him so for me the stakes just aren't there going into the next star wars whereas in empire again like you have to rescue han luke's arm is gone and 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 invaders out there and and that there's this scary emperor that we don't know anything about mm-hmm. um obviously they did the death star thing over again in jedi but sure whatever but yeah they blown up the death star what four times in all of these movies now or three and <laughs> three, a half three, I, guess. I think yeah, yeah. but um, it's yeah a, it's a good goal with the new with the new trilogy I, 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 I didn't get I didn't get that many stakes from going into the next one obviously the last Jedi I had like incredible dramatic moments that like shifted you mm-hmm. <laughs> in your seat physically but uh, yeah I, I uh, I'm, I'm just interested to know like like if they did did have a plan like going yeah. into all these movies um because Marvel does a great job of this. Like, they, I'm sure they have a big wall, the web. And, right. and like, this movie connects to this movie at this point. Sure, yeah. Like, I actually really enjoy the Marvel movies because it, it really feels like there's a unity in between them. But, like, you can still have a director put their stamp on it, right? Sure, like, yeah. Taika Waititi can make Thor Ragnarok 3 and be totally different from the other two Thor movies. But, I don't know. Still maintain the spirit. Still yeah. maintain, yeah, I don't know. So, I, uh... We'll see. We'll see what happens with the with the last Star Wars, and and that's why I was so interested to know kind of how you felt in that gap between mm-hmm. Empire and Jedi. Yeah, like, uh, just excitement. Just you know, there was going to be something else to watch. We, I mean, also when you're when you're a kid, you have no idea how the like the structure goes between uh, Empire and Jedi. We got Raiders, we got ET, we got Poltergeist. It was a good few years uh, to grow up. Star yeah. Trek Two came out and actually fixed Star Trek. Yeah, Maybe yeah. too. Um, there were movies to keep me busy, uh, but yeah, Star Wars was probably my first love, and and I would always keep an eye on it. And then, of course, 
the power of marketing really, really kicked in between the two. And, and so there would be reissues and there was a double bill at one point, maybe in 1982, where they both came back to the theater. And oh, wow. I'm pretty sure I went to that. Pretty sure. And it was just... Because it was like an event, right? Yeah, it like, was... Yeah. It was yeah. I mean, it was... It was unprecedented in terms of its appeal, but it was also the thing that felt magical every time you went back to it mm-hmm. because it was so completely different from anything else that you would just look at it. You could just, you know, I did it with Empire the last time. I just looked at the technology. I looked at the puppets. I looked at the sets. I looked at the toys and just thought, they really built everything. This is all engineered. Yeah, I mean, even those those ATATs in like this is so interesting. Like they they use stop motion, oh, the stop motion to, make, yeah. to make those walk, but then they use high speed for anything when they ever like would fall or explode. Like like, like they they actually again he he was Lucas was so interested in, in pushing technology, and it worked really well in that movie. Yeah, I think no, it all comes together. Every every yeah. piece of it. I I think I mean I think it is still the pinnacle of Star Wars narrative storytelling. Yes. For sure. Because nobody knew what Star Wars was supposed to be, right? Like, there was no sense of an ossified It helped franchise. it find its footing. Yeah. For sure. They there defined it rather yeah. than repeated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh. It's just, that's what a sequel should do. Yeah. Like, you know, that's what, that's what, yeah. And now, the idea of a sequel is to simply tell the same story again or continue it. You know, like, the, the example I always bring up as, for a bad sequel is Die Hard 2, where it's almost good. Like, you can watch it and enjoy it, but you know it's not the first movie. What Empire does is is completely different, right? I mean, it it knows what you want. It gives it to you in the first act, and then it just denies it to you. Yeah. And makes you watch what else happens. Yeah. And it's better for it. And it, it's so weird. I, it's... I, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this, because you're a critic. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I almost see Empire as flawless. Like... I, I I don't know what I would change about it if if that's what you mean. It's, this, it, yeah, like its like, pacing choices are strange, but it doesn't matter because it moves. Uh, uh, it finds its own rhythm in the second act, and and the cross cutting works. No, I I mean, yeah, I the, maybe the only thing I would change are the, I think they were called Ugnots, the little Ugnots, the little guys who little, bother C three PO. Yeah, bounce his head around. That's just a bit. Silly, silly. Um, because it sort of prefigures the Ewoks and just like it's, it's George Lucas. <laughs> but, but going, they had, like they had a Jawas and a New Hope, though. Yeah, so like like I guess that that's consistent. I with suppose there's aliens you know, in the universe. A continuity. Of- my my only thing, and it, it's kind of a funny thing, and you, you might you'll probably notice it next time you watch it. But like uh, it's it's just when it's right after Lucas fought Vader, and and he's in the ship and he's kind of resting, mm-hmm. and then Vader, you know, force calls him. Right. And he's and he's like Luke, and he's just like father. He's just, he's just immediately bought yeah. into it. Like there's no skepticism. It's just like he's immediately like okay, dad. Like yeah. I, I I just thought like that him just the way he reacted that it always kind of makes me laugh. But it's, now that you mention it, yeah. But it also weirdly it shores up the connection with Leia, doesn't it? Because if only blood can call blood, then you have this. That's true. Uh, although that doesn't make sense with Kylo and well, we don't uh, know. And Rey, we but, don't fully know. Yeah, but, but Snoke was behind that, right? Didn't he say he was doing it just to be a dick? I don't know. I mean, like, like we have to. I guess we really have to wait to see how that all pans out and if anyone is related to anyone. I like the idea that they're not. I mean, I, I love the idea that it's the same gen- the same family is forced to go over this over and over again. That they're always going to be doing these things. You know, it's the Battlestar Galactica line. All of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again. I like that because it feels classical in its structure but at the same time I love the idea that Ray is just from nowhere the way Luke was supposed to be 
Like, originally, our conception of him was that he was this lonely kid who yeah. wasn't connected to anything. And if that's her, then it then having him be her teacher fulfills that in a nice new way and lets it work differently. Yeah, I, I think the only thing for like for me for the new trilogy for to, to really satisfy me with that whole storyline and, and, and who's related to who, I'm totally fine with them being, you know, strangers. That's okay. totally cool. I just think the way Ray is set up, especially with The Force Awakens, um, is like they're really teasing you as if she's someone I assume she was Luke's daughter yeah um, and also she's given qualities that are unprecedented like what yeah like like Luke again he had to kind of st- stumble his way through the force she's just kind of immediately amazing an amazing pilot which Anakin was mm-hmm. um, and like so it really teases you was like okay she must have some sort of lineage to be this good I think that the most like satisfying way to do it um, that's like an evolution upon Star Wars and going in a new direction without having to be a family lineage thing is that like if somehow her and Kylo were like these like poles of the force and like if if because he's trained this much she kind of gains more to balance him out oh, I see. because it just it just doesn't it just doesn't ring true for me for her to like have all these that's why I love, love Luke so much because he's kind of a he's kind of a dope without his friends he's just a guy who wants power converters on dusty tattoos he has modest ambitions right and like um, I uh, last year I really tried to like strike home that theme of failure but it just didn't land for me because I, I feel like some of these characters are too perfect <laughs> yeah. I can sort of see that as an impediment yeah yeah but perfection's boring so well, that's what I'm saying. To, if you're going to tell more stories, but that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Is that is that like to have your kind of main character, if if they're not related to the Skywalker right. blood, to just have her be fully formed? Yeah. What's the story behind that, and why? And is there an interesting twist to it? And if we are evolving the Force, I think that'd be a really cool way to do it. Is to have her and Kylo be linked in such a way that like. Maybe they can't even kill each other. I don't know. Like it's uh, there's some sort of connection there. Like okay. so, I hope that the next movie explores that and they don't kind of leave that unanswered. Because I have a lot of questions why why someone is that powerful. Because even Anakin, you know, who's apparently this um, immaculate conception yes, force boy. force baby. Yeah, he had like those pilot powers, but like he still had to train. And, Oh, that guy was fallible for sure. Yeah. Like that guy made mistakes, yeah. right? So like, um, I, I don't know. Like I, it's uh, I definitely connect to Luke the most out of all the characters in in, in the films because I, I I like someone who who needs to kind of figure it out with friends and, and stuff. Ray definitely feels like a lone wolf, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just want to know more about her. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well- well, yeah, when I start talking Star Wars, I just can't. Oh, no, no, it's like, great. It, it, it's hard. I mean, obviously, again, Empire is my favorite, but it's hard not to view the entire universe as as when you're talking about it. It's just they're so interwebbed and connected. Yeah, no, how yeah. can it not be, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's also, it's the first property that encourages us to do this, I think, in a way that, like, cinematically. Cinematically, for Nobody sure. talked this way about the Bond films. Right? Yeah. And that's the only other thing I could think of that comes close to being culturally as unavoidable maybe Planet of the Apes but that was so niche in the 60s and 70s that you know nobody took it seriously really after the first one and the the world building was limited by the time travel stuff the Star Wars 
it just it inspired a level of conversation and nerdery that you know, <laughs> has now taken over the world. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. But uh, here we are, like debating incidental characters, spin-off movies, like they could have their own show. Like there, there, there is enough going on. Yeah. And I think part of it is because of Empire specifically, because it is so vivid and and alive in a way that nothing else had been like star wars i love star wars it's but, fun yeah but empire is about stuff about stuff yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah no i definitely i definitely feel the exact same way vivid that's a good word yeah well yeah. i've had time to think about it <laughs> 38 years jesus um but yeah so this does sort of more or less lead to the to the closer question in the podcast which is what if anything of the, of all the Star Wars films, but specifically Empire, I guess, uh, have you borrowed or been inspired by or outright stolen or absorbed into your own creative DNA? Is there anything in Clara that um, links to it? Yeah, they're actually, I mean, going back to just the, I, like, Luke Skywalker who needs his friends, I mean, um, you've seen the film Clara, yeah. and, and the main character, he's fallible. He's definitely not a hero. Uh, and he, he's kind of on this road to discovery, a scientific discovery because he's an astronomer and you need all these other characters to kind of fill in these gaps. You know, and I, with Luke and, and, and Han and Leia and Chewie, it's, I, I just love the fact like you don't go on adventures alone. And, um, in, in the film, in Clara, you see this main character who is kind of closed off. He has to reach out to other people in his life, people from his past to you know he needs help essentially mm-hmm. and uh and uh, i thought that was um that's what really what i really love about empire is there's that speech that yoda gives luke about like if you go you like you'll endanger your friends kind of thing and it's i don't know i i, I feel like relation you know there is a price to pay with relationships like you you obviously do burden people with your problems but if those people will if they help you out, those are people that you want us, you want to support later on. And Luke goes and rescues Han in, in Return of the Jedi. You mm-hmm. know, like, a, um, so for for me, I, I Empire, what it does is solidify character relationships. And uh, Clara, although it's a sci-fi, it's very much a drama. I mean, you know, making a, a sci-fi in Canadian film with a, a budget, a modest budget like that, right. like well, it's a conceptual science fiction film, right? I mean, it's it's about concept- possibilities. It's yeah, and and I, I, I think you know, as I as I'm growing as a filmmaker, I really like to start from a place of of people, and 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 human relationships. Uh, as you know from the film, it's very, it's very woven around. Um, the main character's relationships to other people in in, in the film and, and and the past coming coming back and um, I yeah I uh, Mark Hamill always I think he kind of quotes George Lucas but he, the way he talks about Star Wars he says it's a it's a family matter it is it's yeah, a yeah. it is a, in in uh, the the episodes at least and um, yeah I, I think to to have that kind of human connection at the, at the core of your film. To, to the backdrop of, of, of all the cosmic stuff, uh, and you know we were able to have some cosmic stuff in our in our in our in our film, yeah. um, uh, which by the way, practical effects, real stuff, all nice. all this, all the space elements, all that stuff, are all from actual NASA images. So, uh, and they are gorgeous. It's just there is something I, that 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 element of 
of the film and of the fact that we are at this technological point now where you can actually see space is just <laughs> yeah. mind-boggling to me. Because in yeah. 1977, 1980, space was blurry video footage of the moon landing. Oh, yeah. Like, we had no idea. And then that's the other thing that Star Wars did with John Dykstra's effects and, and, and what they built on top of those. You got to see the vastness. You got yeah. to understand. I'm probably wrong. I'm sure it happened. I must have seen something on TV before. But I like that tilt down in empire to the to hoth with the the glow the atmosphere all uh-huh. of it that was i'm pretty sure the first time i conceived of what a planet would look like from space that wasn't just a model on a stick yeah i'm trying to think of if space odyssey had anything that was kind of like that jupiter um, really but jupiter. it's presented in a different you yeah know, you don't see a like a thermosphere in an atmosphere it's you're just, right though that glow i've never just, seen that before. it felt yeah. uh, those those shots hold up today so well sure like yeah. a, a guy I don't know. There's just something of, yeah, just the craft of that. And uh, going forward, I would love to. I'm, I that that interests me. Like I said, I started out in visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, the technological side of filmmaking, it's it's necessary, but it, it's 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 really it's really only there to kind of help your story. You, you know, if it becomes the focus yeah, for yeah, the yeah, future, yeah. you end up with transformers and all this kind of cuttiness and you know yeah but it, what empire does is it is it just elevates the story in in a, in a way that like it stamps those moments into your brain and then but but what we're we've been reacting to the most in this conversation is the story in those characters yeah oh absolutely yeah it's the the people whether human or otherwise they're yeah they're the reason you come back yeah and i think that's what i that's what i like so much about the new films is that the Performances are allowed to be like idiosyncratic and strange and Adam Driver so good. Yeah, yeah. and just yeah. realizing halfway through the second time I watched Force Awakens that uh, that that uh, Oscar Isaac Poe Dameron, but that he just calls everybody buddy. Hey, buddy! It yeah. makes no sense, but like it's great. It's just <laughs> a way of instantly establishing. I mean, that makes him the Han Solo in this movie, and that he's the charismatic wild card. Yeah, but he's just so companionable and warm. And then the more you know when they introduce him with that silly phone call prank in 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 uh, Last Jedi, it's delightful because you know who this guy is, even though he really hasn't done very much. Yeah, he led he, a couple of assaults, and yeah. he, he helps. He's a helper, but he's also got a like, this weird, chaotic, good kind of presence. And yeah, you, you kind of just know who that person is. Yeah, yeah. and that that lines him up to my mind with you know, like Han Solo or Lando in Star Wars, Orlando. Yeah, yeah, and that they're both. You just kind of know. You yeah. just kind of get a sense of who this person is. Yeah. Coming Swindlers, to... but with warmth. With warmth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Star Wars. Star Wars is all about warmth. Like it really, it really does. Um, I don't know. It's, it's it speaks to, again, like that that whole family connection thing. Like I, I really feel that, and uh, yeah, a big part of my life. <laughs> oh, really Made me want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. So well, that's wonderful, and I really want to see your Boba Fett movie now because. <laughs> There's, there, it would have to be fun. Yeah, no, it, it, that's there's a I, I won't spoil. It. I won't spoil. It. There's a there's some really fun set pieces in it. It's um, I'll send it to you sometime. <laughs> My thanks to Akash Sherman, whose first feature, Clara, has its world premiere at TIFF this afternoon, Monday, September 10th, at 5:30 p.m. at the Ryerson Theater. It screens again at the Scotiabank Theater at 9:30 p.m. on Thursday, September 13th. And if you go to one of those screenings, you will probably see friend of the show Anna Sesmer there. Say hi for me. Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did. You can find Akash on Instagram at Akash Sherman, all one word, and you can follow his movie on Twitter and Instagram at Clara the Film, also all one word. 
And of course, the Star Wars movies are available on Blu-ray and DVD from 20th Century Fox and Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment, depending on which ones you're looking for, and on iTunes and Google Play. Except for Solo, which comes out on digital September 14th and on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD September 25th. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. May the Force... Ah, you know. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.